was said on Sunday, a podcast by Killable Anglican where we talk about what was said on Sunday or even what we didn't have time to say on Sunday. We are passionate about being deep in the Word of God and doing life together in community. So thanks for letting us into your week as we learn more about Jesus together. Here's today's episode. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Set on Sunday. My name's Beck and I'm the host of today's podcast and joining me today is James. Hello, I'm here. I will say more than just a few words. You were the preacher on Sunday, so I appreciate that. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> and we've also got Dave with us. Hi, Dave. Hello, Beck, and hello everyone. And Dan. Hello, hello. Okay, well, first of all, we did get a little um, bit of feedback on our special set on Sunday phone Mm. with some encouraging feedback for you, James. So someone has said, you're doing a great job, James. This is a well-timed talk. We are praying for you. Thank you. Which I thought was really kind and I wanted to, yeah, say that to you publicly on the air. Thank you. I appreciate it. (laughs) So what did you talk about on Sunday? Yeah, so we were um, looking at the back end of Chapter 6 of Matthew, Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, we were looking at a bunch of different things. Um, And so we looked at the, you know, what kind of things are we treasuring here on earth? You know, where do our priorities lie? Uh, What are we trying to store up for ourselves, Uh, whether that's both in the context of property or actual finances or or just the things of this world like, um, I don't know, education or corporate climbing through the ladder with... All that kind of stuff. And so I sort of wanted people to reflect on, you know, what are you actually trying to store up? You know, are you storing up the things here on earth that, you know, vermins and moths, as the passage says, will destroy? Um, or are you storing up things that are in heaven? And so thinking more about the eternal focus of what we can do here on earth now. And so that was kind of the first part. And then the second bit we looked at was, you know, what what are you, what are you, what are you serving? You know, are you serving God? Are you serving money? Or are you serving those treasures of this world? And so... We looked at that a little bit and then finally we looked at Jesus' words from verse 25 onwards where he says, do not worry. And so in a climate like ours that we currently are living in, um, that's a really hard thing to to read and to go, okay. Um, And so I wanted people to sort of realise that if our hearts are set to the things above and that if God is our master, then God will clearly look after us and that's why we can take Jesus' words as they stand. So that was kind of the context of the passage. Mm, A timely word indeed. Um, So in part one of your sermon, you were just saying that we're going to store up treasure in heaven. So Mm. our first question is about that. What is the treasure in heaven that lasts for eternity? God's blessing, God himself? Yeah, great question. Um, So when we're looking at in the context of what Jesus is saying here, obviously he's when we think about treasure, we think about money and things of of value. Um, And so treasure is the stuff that we value. And so for us, we'd like I said, we talked about finances or whatever it might be here on earth that we put our time and, and value and talent and all that kind of stuff into. But then trying to flip that and think about what does that look like in an eternal sense? Um, you know, what are the things that we're doing here on earth that are going to have eternal value? And so that eternal treasure as such, the treasured things, uh, would be heaven itself, um, you know, for us to, to be there with God um, in his presence um, and to see our brothers and sisters in Christ there as well and and going out and actually just living out what it means to be a Christian, like fulfilling what Jesus calls us to do. And we'll see that further on as we uh, look at chapter 7 in the coming weeks. But ultimately for us to be living out the faith and be bringing people to Jesus through the things that we do. And so God has given us things, you know, all that we have comes from him. And so for us, we want to be using those for his glory uh, and for his greater purpose and ultimately fulfilling what Jesus says at the end of this book, you know, to go out and make disciples of all nations. Mm. And so we want to do that. And that's kind of the eternal heavenward focused um, things that we're looking to. It's it's the gospel. That's what we want to be doing um, as a church. So that's the eternal treasures. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting that uh, Paul, when he writes to his friends in Thessalonica, uh, he talks about, um, he, you know, he asks the question, what, what, what is our glory, uh, what is our hope, what is our joy, what is our crown, uh, that we will, you know, glory in the presence of the Lord Jesus when he comes. And he says, is it not you? And so I wonder whether the treasures that we're storing up is actually the investment in the other people uh, because that's what heaven is. Yes, heaven, the ultimate treasure, the prize we get is God himself. We mm. get to dwell with him and be with him. And that's a wonderful thing. And that should be a, an awesome motivator mm. uh, to, you know, press on towards heaven. Uh, but what are we investing into this side 
it's it's people, you know, helping them persevere, helping them see who Jesus is so that they too can get the ultimate prize. Uh, and there's so many investment things we can do, uh, you know, in terms of what we're storing up and what we're using our time, treasure and talents towards uh, to see people built up, encouraged and come to know Jesus. So there's, I think mm. perhaps it's got that element uh, built into it as well. Yeah. I think on that same idea too, there's even such a treasure, I guess, in the smallest of interactions in that space as well. I was particularly encouraged by that last year in the ministry I was working with in, in QuizWorks. Like we only see the kids that we were doing these shows for for half an hour and we don't know the impact of what our ministry to them was doing. But even the smallest conversation, the smallest interaction, God can use that to water, grow or continue in how he pleases. So, yeah, encouraging that space. It's the people that you win for heaven and that you do kingdom work with. But even the smallest conversation can help move someone closer like that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's good. I think the commentators that I read said all those things like we're looking at um, holiness of character, obedience to God's commands, souls one for Christ and those nurtured in the faith, which kind of encapsulates everything that you guys have said, even in the even in the tiny little ministries and investments that we make. Mm. Yeah, it's helpful. Okay, talking about investment, let's talk about um, God and money. Um, so someone has asked, if one is struggling and has made bad financial decisions or due to the realistic situation with the cost of living, should one stop giving financially to the church? Could one give in other ways to church? For example, volunteering. Can that be counted as giving? Yeah, I think um, if this is you and you're in a really tight financial spot, then yeah, I would stop giving because you need to keep a roof over your head. That's really important. Um, you need to love and care for your family. Um, and there's going to be times where um, that is you um, and there's going to be times where that won't be you and there'll be times where you can give um, your treasures to the work of the gospel. You know, when I think about giving, think of it as a threefold thing, you know, your time, your time investment here, um, not just at church, but just time in general with people and, and being generous in that. Um, obviously, uh, talent, you know, the gifts that God's blessed you with to, to serve him um, in the context of both, say, here at Kellyville, but in the broader context of where you find yourself each and every day. And then obviously your treasures, your money. And so I think all three of those things are really important. But obviously if there's a time in your life where you are really just can't, then you, you can't. Um, and so I would, you know, there are people in this world that um, because of their work, they can't give their time, but they give their treasure. And there are people here that can't give their treasure, but can give their time. And so I think weighing all that up, is really important and I think it's it's the heart behind it as well. Like if you if you want to give to God and you know give your time, your talent and and, and your treasure but financial situations just mean you just can't then you can't. But you know, you want to give God your best, your first fruits, um, but you still need to keep a roof over your head. And you know, I think that's that's I think it's I think it really is just the heart behind it all is is the really important part of 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 this question. Um, so I love that you're you're wrestling with it. I think it's a really good thing. Um, but yeah, it's hard. It's hard. And you may want to think about uh, um, not necessarily or not giving as much. You might just reduce. For a specific time, um, like I know there's people who have hit times of unemployment mm. uh, amongst us and, you know, uh, and they've come and said to me, look, just for this period of time, I can't give what I sort of, because we do do pledging. Uh, we ask people to say, this is what, you know, uh, we're thinking about giving to the church uh, in the upcoming year. And people take that seriously. And, and I really appreciate that mm. um, uh, people's godliness in that and, you know, people have come and said, look, I'm unemployed right now. I can't quite give what I, I said I would. That's totally okay. We mm. we, we understand mm. uh, that, you know, we can't guarantee futures. Uh, and some have said, look, I need to stop entirely. Uh, others have said, look, I just need to substantially decrease. Um, uh, my, my heart is warm that people uh, do see that as part of what their own discipleship. Mm. Uh, when it comes to managing their finances to see that, uh, you know, our finances aren't our own. Mm. Uh, like everything in this world, it, it's it's God's. Uh, and uh, it's important, I think, is part of people's understanding of who God is and, you know, uh, who we are as Christians that, you know, how, what, how or what we do with our money is important. 
and and giving is an important part of it. Uh, and it's talked, you know, very freely and quite openly in the scriptures about what what we should do with our money and uh, and giving to church is is a significant part of that. But as James said, that there, there's times and seasons uh, where we go through, and um, we we need to think carefully about what that looks like. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Next question about money. Does buying your first house, saving for a deposit, being able to get out of renting and putting a roof over your family's head count as treasure on earth? It's quite an idol for most of our age, but it's very difficult to turn away from it because it has such large implications on how you view money and savings. I think the key thing you've said there is idol. I think that's the really important part that we we need to look at, and and the reason I say that is because, you know, I, I did say this in the in the sermon that you know God doesn't say that we can't have houses, or that we can't have these things. Um, they're blessings from Him, and yes, we can work towards those. But when they become the most treasured thing, or they become the idol, the thing that we we are gravitating towards the most and and loving the most and giving all our time to, that's the issue with that. You know, like um Abraham. He was rich as Genesis 13. You can read that there. Um, Job, super rich. Everything got taken away from him. He was more rich than he was before. So God's not anti-money but anti the love of money because when that becomes the idol in your life, then that's the problem. And so there was one um, quote that I was reading in one of the books that, you know, you can't serve both God and money, but you can serve God with your money. Mm. Um, And I think that's a really big distinction in, in all of that is that, it's not bad to have lots of money. Some people are going to be more blessed than others, and that's okay. That's got no reflection of God's favor upon you. That's just life circumstances and things um, happening in your own uh, time. But I think, yeah, we just need to be careful that that doesn't become an idol. And and from the passage, you know, it um, it says there, you know, with the birds um, and how they actually them themselves, you know, they're not to worry, um, but they do work. They don't just sit there and wait for God to throw food in their mouths, but actually they go out and they go and get the food themselves. And so there's still this human responsibility that's required of us as Christians. And again, when I was thinking about this, um, Paul in his letter to Timothy in chapter 5, he says, anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And so I think... There is responsibility for us to care for our families, to be looking at putting a roof over our head. If, if it means your whole life you're renting, you're renting, but there's still a roof over your head. If it's you are blessed and you're able to get into a house then, and that you own, then that is also wonderful. Um, but I think ultimately the whole idea of this is, is that your idol? Is that your main priority in your life is I need to work seven days a week. All my money goes to my savings account because I need to buy a house before I think about church or any other way that you might be generous with your time, talents and treasure. So, Mm. yeah. Yeah, uh, Jesus says here, Matthew 6, um, you know, the contrast he's making is treasures on earth, treasures in heaven. Uh, And the treasures on earth are where moths and vermin destroy, thieves break in and steal. Uh, And so if they want the the, um, black and white answer to, are these things that we build up here on earth treasures on earth? The answer is yes, of course they are. Um, and we need to heed Jesus' words that, you know, uh, he says in other places where it's hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Mm. You know, it's easy for the uh, the camel to go through the eye of the needle. Uh, and I think our camels are getting bigger and our eyes of needles <laughs> are getting smaller. Mm. And and it's not, it's not necessarily you can't have good things, nice things, all those things. It's just about thinking through... Uh, What's our security ultimately in and the lure and attraction of wealth and finances, it's easy. Like it's easy to be lured in on those things and there, there is a security that comes with it. There is a satisfaction in having money, like all those things. But uh, Jesus is relatively clear when he says these are actually treasures on earth. Mm. Um, uh, they're not necessarily evil in and of themselves. Uh, they're good things. This is how God set creation up. Um, mm. But we are rich. We are uber rich. Mm. Um, you know, if you own a, a washing machine and a dishwasher, you're in the top 10%. Uh, and so we just need to be, we just need to keep listening to Jesus mm. on where he's sort of going. Mm. And, you know, the whole way through the Sermon on the Mount, it's all about being the heart. Uh, and that's where he goes to in, in Matthew 6, you know, where your treasure is. 
that's where your heart is also. And that's the diagnostic question. Yeah. Mm. It's really interesting you talked about security and satisfaction because that's two of Keller's counterfeit gods things. <laughs> yeah. Um, the third one being significance. So when you, we're identifying idols in our lives, what are we finding our security, satisfaction and significance in? And I think when it comes to home ownership, we can find security, satisfaction and significance mm. in those things. 100%. And it's about whether you are finding them solely in that or primarily in God. Because as Jesus wisely says, those things can disintegrate. Interest rates can rise. You can lose your house. You can lose your job. Someone could break in and steal everything you own. Jesus says those things you can't, you can't trust those things. Like mm. you can only find your security in in God, mm. um, and which can't be taken away from you. Um, yeah. So it just it it's as you say, it's a it's a heart condition, but our behaviour will reflect what our heart says as well so yeah, yeah it's important to continue to wrestle with that yep okay next question do you have anything that can help with putting god first i put money and products before god and i want to stop doing this to get closer to god mm, it's a good, good question. question um i'm going to throw back another question to this person that's put this in you know what's the first thing that you start your day with you know, what, what is the first thing you think about when you wake up in the morning? You know, is the first thing you do is grab your phone because the alarm's gone off, flick it open and you go to Instagram or TikTok or Facebook. Like, is that your first response in the morning? Um, because I think that that is a, a really key part of your day to actually not do that and actually turn your focus towards God and starting your day right with him. And so... I would encourage you to think about your morning routine and how you start your day. Um, you know, I was speaking to one friend and he was saying that um, he doesn't read the Bible on his phone anymore um, because, you know, when his kids come downstairs and they see him on his phone, they actually don't know that he's reading his Bible but actually wants them to see that he is. So he, he gets rid of his phone in the morning, he opens up God's Word. When the, girl, the girls come down, they see him in the Bible and the Word and they see that he's starting his day with that, not scrolling and and you know phones it's so easy for a message to come through boom train of thought and you you've been distracted and now you're dealing with other things and so i would encourage you to yeah have your bible by your bed and actually when you wake up in the morning stop the alarm and take a few moments and maybe read something from the psalms and sort of cast your eyes towards him i think that'd be a really important way to start your day in that sense because if you start your day there then it's just in your mind from the beginning so um, yeah, I have a suggestion for what you might study um, if you're trying to um, reflect um, on generosity and putting um, God before your money is you might want to reflect on the generosity of God in Ephesians 1 where every spiritual blessing is laid out. So he says, you know, we've got every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus and then there's just verse after verse after verse after verse of everything that God has given us through Jesus. So that might be a way to inspire you to reflect on God's generosity to encourage you to be generous yourself. Yeah, if you were talking financially, uh, which is where the, the context of this comes in, uh, you know, I'm not sure if everyone's, a, you know, prepares budgets and stuff like that. Um, but do you actually put your giving in your budget? Is it the first thing that goes in? Uh, so that you, you make that commitment, you know, to giving to that sort of aspect. Um, uh, so that that is a way, practically speaking, to put God first rather than giving out of your leftovers, going, actually, here's the things I want and I get them and then go, actually, the end of the week, I can't because I've done and I've spent this, this and this that aren't necessarily essential items. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, and again, there's there's lots of good budgeting tools and other bits and stuff out there that you could interact with uh, that, that help you put a budget together. Mm. Um, I think when I, when, I, when I heard this, I'm like, there's obviously a uh, struggle behind it and that even this question recognizes itself, like we are surrounded by things that take our attention from God and take our mind away from this kind of thing. And I affirm both the suggestions, all the suggestions that have already been said, but also like I've found it helpful in the past and still helpful now. Need to get, 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 I need to get back on the wagon for this, but paying mind and being thankful for the little things in my, in my day as well. Like if I, it's a 
trivial and small example, but get a car park in a busy shopping center. Thank you, God, for giving me a car park. Or like, thank you, God, for as you're walking down the street, maybe. Thank you, God, for that beautiful green tree or that beautiful flower on the side kind of th- on, on, on the side of the road. Like it seems trivial and small, but as you're going through your day, if you're starting your day in God's word, if you're having everything around you, if you're noticing those blessings in creation around you as well as how you're structuring your time, you're paying mind to God. And that's part of what that struggle is. How can you put God first? Well, you notice him in the life around you. Mm. You you see that he is a creator of the world around you. And yeah, keeping your mind on him is always helpful too. Mm. Yeah, gratitude shows you how much you really have. So you might not be so miserly with what you have and might feel more more inclined to give it away um, as we emulate our father. I would say also talk to someone about your struggle um, and get some accountability. I think mm. could be helpful as mm. well as you seek to um, get the wisdom from the body of Christ um, as well, as well as prayer. Um, yeah. So there's some suggestions. You can probably think of more. Um, all right. So other treasures. Um, someone's mentioned has a sermon comment and I guess they're just identifying another treasure um, that people can have. Um, so as James mentioned, perhaps many people treasure emotional and family happiness and harmony and the feeling of being loved and romance. They've questioned, especially women perhaps, if not by nature or roles, then as the result of media and advertising. Um, as the resident woman, why don't I address this one? <laughs> um, I do think that that's true. I think that women long for family happiness, harmony. I think men and women all long for that and the feeling of being loved and romance. I think we're all suckers for that, really. I think it's just part of the human experience. But as we've said before, um, are we finding our security, satisfaction and significance in these things um, or are we finding them in who God is and who God has made us to be? Um And yeah, so I guess that's my comment on the comment is, yeah, we can idolise these things and we can be deeply, deeply dissatisfied and disappointed if we don't have these things. And I think that's also okay. I think that grief is also part of the Christian experience. Um, But we've mentioned Thessalonica a couple of times um, and Paul says to them, we don't grieve without hope. So we can be, we can grieve and experience loss as Christians but we always have that underlying safety net of um, of God and our salvation um, and what awaits us in the new creation. Any other comments? Sounds good. Real. I think social media is really unhelpful. That's yeah. my two cents. I think yeah, no one ever no one this beautiful picture. No one ever paints a bad picture. Mm. No one will ever put the bad picture up there. They will always talk about how great their life is. Um, and so, you know, for me personally, I, I've just unfollowed everything. It um, wasn't necessarily in the context of um, happiness and harmony in families, but people going on holidays, buying new toys, you know, they always post the photo of the car with this thing on the front and here I am driving a 30-year-old vehicle that breaks down, like, you know, mm. and you're going, oh, man, I wish I had that. Like, I just, yeah, personally, I, I, that was a step that I took was to actually remove all that from my daily life because then it made me, I guess, yeah, a little bit envy of other people's lives and I needed to be content and happy in what God had given me and what I had here and now. And so, Mm. yeah. Yeah. It's hard to see everything you have if you're too busy looking at what everyone else has. Yeah. 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 And there'll always be something better. You know, there was a, there was a, this is, it was from like the nineties when I was reading it in one of the commentaries, but you know, they did a survey about, you know, how much money do you need to be happy? And pretty much at any money point, you know, whether you're on 20,000, 40,000, 60, which low numbers, you know, back in the 90s, every person said it was double the amount they had now. Mm. Didn't matter how much you had, whether you were down earning a million dollars a year, working a high exec role in New York, you know, on, on Wall Street, or you're a farmer out in Mississippi or whatever, they all put it as we need double than what we have now. So I think ultimately be content in what you have and work and obviously work towards, you know, trying to do what you can do in your current circumstances. Like, I, yeah, anyway. Two cents. I think it's a really astute observation mm-hmm. uh, that this person makes around the treasure of emotional stability mm. uh, that comes from family and uh, being loved and you know, And I think I think you, you're exactly right, Beck. I don't think it's especially women. Uh, I think we all, as humans, long for that. Like it's a, it's almost like it's built into us, mm. uh, which uh, we you know. And again. Uh, it's where we go looking for that uh, and 
if it's going to be our partner, um, our husband or wife or boyfriend or girlfriend, it's crushing. When you put them on the pedestal of saviour, messiah, God, uh, they can't bear the weight of it. Mm. And so, again, it just keeps coming back to put your heart and rest in the security that your life is hidden with Christ. Mm. Uh, There's your security. There's your identity. There's who you are as a person. But it's so hard Mm. living this embodied life uh, around us with so many pulls and, you know, our, and it, rightly our emotions do want to attach to something. Uh, so I just think it's a really astute observation, but mm. you just want to keep coming back, that security and identity in Jesus. Gee, it just unlocks so much in terms of the idols that we have mm. uh, and that pull in our hearts in different ways. Mm. Okay, let's talk about anxiety. Um, so it obviously was a fairly major focus of the passage. Mm -hmm. So we've got a couple of questions about that. Um, We're going to take these two questions together. One of them is asking, I feel there is a great difference between worry and anxiety. How do I differentiate the two whilst trying my best to trust God in all things? Um, And the reason we're going to take the next question together with this one is that when I read that difference between worry and anxiety, I wondered if maybe the person asking the question was, thinking about worrying as like fretting and anxiety more as a clinical diagnosis of anxiety. I don't know, maybe that wasn't the gist of your question, Mm. Um, but perhaps it was. But the next question is, um, I wanted to get your views about the concept of worry in context of mental health. I suffer from anxiety, as do no doubt many other Christians. Whilst we understand the need to trust God, physiologically it isn't that simple. For me, when I read that passage or when I read that passage, it makes me feel like I am not trusting God enough, but it also rings a bit hollow as it isn't that easy for me. And I think the church generally has a pretty uneasy history when it comes to reconciling faith and mental illness. How do I reconcile trusting God and not worrying about my mental health? Great question. Yeah, well, I kind of just started that section with my own wrestle. Um, You know, I found it really hard and I think, we're always going to find it really hard because we're human. Um, and I don't think that that's because – and, and, and if we do struggle with it, we're being super sinful. Um, I don't think that at all. But it's just the reality of trying to live in our current climate and hold on to the Jesus teaching. Um, you know, on Sunday I intentionally didn't use the word anxiety. Um, I did use the word worry, even though if you look at the 65 English translations, 12 of them use the word anxiety. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you were to Google anxiety and Google worry, they actually are interchangeable. So they say, you know, worry is a feel or cause to feel anxious. Um, anxiety, a feeling of worry. So from a like an actual definition point of view, they're the same. But I think as a society, we see them differently. And I think it's in that context of anxiety is more of a, a clinical um, diagnosis. Um, and so for me, I think, yeah, I would say that, that the worry side of things is the general worry of bits and pieces in this world um, and anxiety is just a greater form of worrying um, and I'll let you speak to that because you had some great stuff uh, earlier about that. So, um, yeah, I think for me when I think about worry and anxiety, you know, one theologian put it that if, you, if you're worrying about tomorrow, you're worrying about something twice because mm. if it does come to pass, then ultimately, you know, you've done, you've done it double. Like you, you, you haven't just dealt with it then and there. And Jesus does say, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow, uh, today has enough trouble of its own. So there are genuine worries that we have to deal with day in and day out. But it's that future stuff that he's saying, hey, you know what? I've got this. You know, mm. you don't need to worry. Um, and so I think there's that part tension of don't need to worry, but also there are worries of today and how that all sort of intermingles. So, yeah, that's... My initial two cents, mm. Beck. Um, yeah, so I have also been diagnosed with anxiety um, in the past um, and so I understand this question from a lived experience point of view and wrestling with what does it mean to when to obey Jesus when he says do not worry about anything mm. when you when we really genuinely do struggle with anxiety. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I would agree that I think sometimes church does have an uneasy history. I think we're getting much better at it now. Um, 
um, generally. That's been my experience. Um, and, yeah, and I think that it's really important to talk about mental health and anxiety publicly, which is why I, I grab every opportunity on the podcast mm. to talk about my experience, mm. to destigmatize it because it can be very isolating. Um, I, I would say the actual question is how do I reconcile trusting God and not worrying um, about my mental health? Um, yeah, it's, it, is really, it is really hard, but I think at the end of the day, it's not necessarily just about what you're feeling. Um, like I can feel anxious and I have all that physiological response um, that comes with anxiety but can also know, have that head knowledge that whatever happens, God is in control. Um, and it's helped me to, to even though those scriptures are hard and can help make me feel a bit guilty, is just to remind myself the grace that is there but the promise that is there in this passage, it's not Jesus slapping me on the wrist saying, stop being anxious, Rebecca. Um, it's more about him saying, I know you're anxious and I've actually got this in hand. Mm. I'm, I'm in control and, um, and, and like there's restoration and hope um, awaits you and we have hope now. So it's, it's, not as, it's not as black and white. I don't think emotions are ever black and white. You feel this but not this. I think you can feel anxious and secure at the same time, if mm. that makes sense. Yeah. Like I can have anxiety but have an understanding that God is in control at the same time. Um, and I think as well prayer is a big part of dealing with this as well as talking to trusted friends. Um, and I've also been seeing a psychologist for many years, which I've also found really helpful to help manage physically those, those symptoms of anxiety um, with things like um, CBT and meditation and breathing exercises mm. and all of those things to help our bodies to calm down using our brains. Mm. So I think that it's I think that it's really important to acknowledge that this is a real experience and that anxiety is not necessarily sinful, um, although worry can be. It can be sinful. So we do need to have a look at our hearts and and assess our trust in God. Um, but don't give you, if you have anxiety, like clinically diagnosed anxiety, don't give yourself a hard time about it. Um, surround yourself with support and, um, and wise people to help you manage it and get through. Can I jump in here? Of course. Thanks. Um, uh, I think the goal of the Christian life is not a strong me. Mm. Um, you know, Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 11, um, you know, he says, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Does Paul worry about the churches? Is he concerned? And I, I, to me, the answer is yes, absolutely. Uh, he worries. That's why he writes letters. That's why he's, you know, and then he goes on in 2 Corinthians 12 uh, to talk about, uh, his weaknesses. Uh, and so I think we sometimes uh, put up front and celebrate the really strong Christian, mm. you know, the one who's smashing the Christian life. Um, but that's not even Paul. Paul talks about the joy of being a weak Christian because it makes God strong. Mm. Now, there's all sorts of reasons uh diagnosis things that need to happen in terms of mental illness mm. um, but the the joy the, of the gospel is you get to speak hope into that situation like the pastoral response for me uh, that comes out of here is to, to speak the hope of it's grace saved by grace that's a wonderful thing to cling on to in those dark moments it's not me um, it's Jesus that saves mm. and I just think there's some good pastoral moments for us to have uh, as we start to talk about mental illness. And it, and it is an illness. Um, and so we, we need to make sure that while we understand the illness side of it, uh, the pastoral side is to speak the hope of the gospel mm. and understanding that it's God's grace. That's mm. the strength. Mm. I think as we think about and parse this particular part of the passage, Worries and anxiety can be crippling. It can be really hard. And I don't think Jesus is diminishing that lived experience. 
that so many people have. And yeah, seeing the real effects of that in people around you, particularly if you're even just on the outside, not experiencing, but seeing it in other people can also equally be just as hard too. But like you said, Dave, I think there is, yeah, like that is a, such a joyful thing of knowing that we have a God who speaks into that space. We have a God that has given us a message of hope that um, has that gives us that perspective in life, that it's not about the life that we're in now and however hard that might be. And you may never see relief from that thing that you're going through because that is hard. And I, when I was looking over this online, someone pointed to um, 1 Peter 5 and um, 1 Peter 5, 6, and I'm from there. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand. He may lift you up in due time. Cast all anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So resist him, standing firm in faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. And I think the devil, like like it says in that verse, can latch on and, and maybe even over-proportional, over-proportionalize, I don't even know, not, 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 not if that's a word, but you get the point. Those experiences that we're having to make them bigger than what God is. But we have the hope that one day this will end. One day we have, um, we will be with God praising his name in eternity. And I don't think that diminishes, like what Dave was saying, it doesn't diminish what we're experiencing now, but it means that there is a light at the end that we can look to. And like it's in those verses too, having those people around you to help your perspective be lifted up again, however many times that's needed, can be so important. Mm. Yeah, I know that's helpful. I particularly like um, the idea that we're not like to be strong Christians. We don't have to be strong <laughs> um, because it's not actually our strength. It's it's God who gives us um, God who gives us strength. It's God who's strong, so that we don't have to be almost. And we also have a suffering Messiah. Um, all right. So next question, um, James. You mentioned that anticipation is always greater than realisation, which is true for a lot of things. However, there are times when the realisation is actually worse than the anticipation. What what we are worrying about actually comes to pass. What do we do in these scenarios? Yeah, so what I was trying to get at with that particular part of the message was for me to sort of go, well, you know, you, you're kind of worrying about things twice if it does come to pass. So you spend all this time anticipating what may happen and then you know unfortunately what you anticipated does happen or in the case of this question it's worse than what you had anticipated and i think you i think ultimately you're just making it harder for yourself um and so i was just trying to encourage people to go you know what like do your best not to as best as you can because if it is then going to come to pass then you've had to worry about it twice and you've made it twice as hard for yourself and so, you know, if this is you and something is that was worse, then, you know, I'm really sorry. Like, that's really, really hard, um, you know, and, and I'm not sure of the context of the question, but you could think about a regular routine check. You're feeling a bit unwell and next yeah, minute. Yeah, I can relate to that. Yeah, <laughs> someone here could relate. But I'm going to shut up. Off you go. <laughs> well, we've done a whole podcast about my experience with my spinal cord diagnosis. but I wasn't leaning that there. Sorry, man. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, I resonate with this question because, um, yeah, that was me. I was worried about my health and I went and got it checked out and it was much worse than I could have anticipated. And it sucked. Like it was really, really hard and it did have an impact on my faith. And like I said, there is a whole podcast about that in our archives. Um, what I, what I would say, um, is what do you do once that life altering event hits you? You have to rest in the decisions you've already made about who God is. Um, even if it's hard in the in the traumatic moment, you might be very angry with God. You might not really want to even talk to God, um, but you've already made a decision to follow Jesus before this event has, has befallen you. Um, so rest in the decision that you've already made is one thing I'd say, and it might take you some time to get back to that. And that's why Christian community is so important um, because where we fall down, our brothers and sisters in Christ can lift us up. Um, so, yeah, so if this is you and something has come to pass that was much worse than you had anticipated, I really feel for you. Um, and, yeah, 
just keep on surrounding yourself with people who care for you and talk to people. And if it's a, you know, if it's a traumatic event, then maybe professional help will be useful. This is something I talk to my psychologist about. I'm still dealing with the health trauma mm. from what has happened to me. Mm. The um, uh, percentage wise, like just going back to what James was saying, often it it it's it is okay. Like mm. you know, uh, you know, I, I if I was a betting person and I'm not. For most of the time, the things I worry about uh, or and anticipating, man, this is going to be really hard, this is going to go really badly. Percentage-wise, most of the time it doesn't. Uh, but we do live in a world that's broken, mm. that's sinful, that's not as it should be uh, and things go terribly wrong. Like there is uh, an incredible amount of suffering uh, that happens and we're not immune to it in the hills, we're not immune to it in Sydney. Uh, there's There's a... There's, ugly sides that that just exist and we don't want to be ignorant of those things um but i think again that that the christian worldview has a place in there uh that can be helpful and uh and i think more helpful than if it's not there Mm. Uh, it's not definitive i don't think you can put it out there and say uh it will give you every answer because i think that's uh bordering on arrogance but you've got to wrestle with it. Mm. Um, it was like when when Gary Koo came for confirmation and he shared his story of watching his mother die as an atheist. He went, logically, I should be okay with this, mm. but I'm not. And you know, so and that drove him towards the gospel. Mm. Yeah, Jesus said, "In this world, you will have trouble." Mm. But then he says, "But take heart, I've overcome the world." Yeah. So he's the only. He's all we've got at the end of the day. Uh, yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Anything else on that topic? Um, I guess just generally, I think it's been an ongoing theme throughout this whole episode is just how great it is that we can see and experience that love of God in the community around us in having that support in having that love in the importance of just really leaning on those people that you trust around you. And particularly in like in this space when it may even be worse than what you thought, just, yeah, that's so hard, but you yeah rest on the people that you trust and that you love and that you can see God's love in in your conversation with them because that's the only thing that's going to get you through because we are tangible people that are embodied and yeah we see God's love not only in how we connect with him but in how we experience that in our conversation and interactions with with others mm. i think that's just been an ongoing thing throughout this this entire episode i think yeah mm. yeah okay changing direction not even slightly, quite a bit actually. Um, we're going to talk about kid sport and church. So we had the question. Um, I have a question from the part of the sermon when James addressed parents to ask if any of us prioritise kids sport over their faith. That's a doozy of a question. Our child is an elite athlete who hopes to represent Australia. He has a God-given talent in his sport But like every athlete aiming for the chance to go to the Olympics, a commitment to training and exposure to competition has to be made. For him, that means training on Friday evenings when youth group is on and tournaments on the weekends when church is on. We do what we can to maintain connection to his faith by compromising. He misses every third Friday night training to attend youth and we catch up on church online if we miss it in person. Is it as black and white as prioritising faith or sport for our kids? As parents, we have no control over this sport schedule. With a black and white view of prioritising sport or faith, would there ever be Christians in elite sport? Thank you so much for your question. I'm really glad that you're thinking this through. And the fact that you are thinking this through means that you're not, like, you are the person I'm speaking to, but you're also not because you're actually wrestling with it and you're thinking actively about the tension that's there between mm. your kid's faith and your kid's sport and how important that is in both aspects of their life. Um, you know, I think I'd love to see more and more elite athletes that are Christian representing God with their God-given talents. Mm. Um, you know, for me, I was at a concert on Thursday night, um, country singer, um, not the main act, but the second one, still massive, 7 million followers on Spotify. And halfway through a set, he said, you know, this may not be for you, but 
you know, I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't because of my Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And I just want to thank him this evening. And, you know, there are a few cheers from the room, but most of them aren't really into that <laughs> kind of thing <laughs> yeah. from, from that perspective. But, hey, like that person was recognising and, and, and actually giving glory to God in a room of like 25,000 people. Like, you which love I your country music. I didn't realise how much you love your country music. <laughs> I've walked in here a few times and the country music's been going. I didn't only realise I'm learning something new, Beck. Yeah. Uh, it has been... Um, <laughs> I will come back to the question. I was at a Bucks party. There was a guy there that was very much into country music and it made all of us listen to it for about six hours straight. And by the time I'd analysed all the lyrics and worked out what they were singing about, it was about faith, sport and, um, and beer. And, <laughs> and, and it was great. I just loved it. It was just so wholehearted. Like it was like, I don't know. I just, if, if you want to go listen to some good country music, uh, Cody Johnson or Luke Combs, um, Cody Johnson's a Christian. Um, and so he was the gentleman on, on Thursday night, but I just thought it was great. Um, and so, yeah, that's a very big sidetrack to the question. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I feel so, like I dragged us yeah. in that sidetrack. Country so. music, elite sport. It's all the same, right? But the representation of your faith on a platform in which gives glory to God. Yeah. And so, you know, for me, um, I was, speaking this and I, I really wrestled <laughs> literally before I got up there at 10.30 I'd written there that this was going to be a 10.30 part and um, and I kind of showed Dave and Dave said yeah do it and so I was like cool I'll do it because I, I was up from 4am like wrestling am I pulling something out of nothing here am I trying to jump on a bandwagon that you know what the, the passage doesn't talk about and yeah, I, I obviously went there and, um, and and I went there because in the context of what Jesus was saying in the idea of our vision, you know, our physical vision and our spiritual vision, um, you know, as, as the darkness come in and we start to prioritise the things of the world, our vision becomes cloudy and more and more cloudy and then eventually we're just full of darkness and we're, we're nowhere near the light, like mm. it, it's done. And when I preached this passage in 2019, I used the analogy of an aeroplane taking off from Sydney and making its way to LA. If that pilot has the uh, heading set to one degree off, by the time you've travelled those 14,000 kilometres, you're probably going to be up somewhere in like Canada. Like you, you're, you're nowhere near your destination. Mm. And it's until you get there and you look back and you go, oh my goodness, how did I come this far without realising it? And so that's why I spoke to the whole turning up church once a week, second time, third time, then not at all. Uh, and I wanted um, our people to, to really reflect on their own lives and go, hey, is this me? Are there things in this world that are becoming more treasured than church mm. or things of your faith, like prioritizing your Bible reading, your prayer, all those kinds of things? You know, it's not just church. Um, you know, in the question that I said, I said, are you prioritizing your kids footy over their faith? And clearly in this message that has been a question that has been sent to us, you are very much concerned with your kids' faith. And I just want to encourage you. That is wonderful. Like I know, and I know that, you know, you, you love your kid to be there more on Friday nights. If they're around on Sundays, we have Sundayville if they're youth, so they can come and study God's word with all the other youth that they don't get to see on Friday night and then come to night church as well. Um, but yeah, I think we do need more people in, in Christian as Christians in elite sport and in those kind of areas. And yes, there needs to be sacrifice in those things to get to that point. Um, but there's always going to be that tension between faith and footy. Mm. And it's and if you're aware of that, and that's what I wanted, I wanted you to be aware of that. And the fact that you've sent this means that you're aware of it. So, yeah, it's great. Yeah, there's, um, uh, uh, again, uh, applaud the... Uh, the boldness of, of the question uh, and uh, the intent to wrestle through. And I think what James says is, is, is exactly right. And, but what also I heard James not saying is it's not saying you can't be a Christian and an elite athlete. Uh, you can. It's like you're not saying you can't be a Christian and, and be wealthy. It's, it's just being aware of the dangers and uh, you know, the heart aspect of it. When I was when I was in the US, um, I just happened to stumble across the chaplain of the PGA Tour, uh, and hung out with him for a little bit. Just not surprised that I love golf and just happened to find myself uh, in that space. So I was talking to him about you know there are a number of professional golfers uh, who love the Lord Jesus Christ, um, and I was just saying, what's it like for them? Like these guys, they travel every weekend. Their sport requires them, uh, you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, uh, different town every single week. I said, how does that work with their faith and a church community? Uh, and he said, it's really hard. 
It's mm. really hard. And what my role is to do as a chaplain is to keep them loving Jesus. Uh, and, you know, uh, the PGA Tour is, you know, generously they support that and, you know, it is America after all. Uh, and, you know, but they get together, they read the Bible together, you know, they do sort of a small church thing. Uh, there was a thing called College Golf Fellowship, which is, you know, up and coming uh, golfers, but it's from a Christian point of view. They get together uh, and, and hang out. And um, I, my, my thing for the person asking this question is if, if they want to be brave enough, I know a bunch of people in the sports chaplaincy space, I'd love to connect them now mm. as their kid starts to grow up and go through their because it is really difficult. Like I've got a mate who's played cricket for Australia. He's pretty much the only Christian, you know, in that space and he's found so hard, hard for him to be at church. You know, he's currently uh, in the US uh, but just spent the last four months in the UK. Like but you need to hook up with the right people. Mm. So if you're brave enough to reach out to me, uh, dave at kacsydney.com.au, uh, I'd love to hook you in with some people who can help continue that journey with you. Mm. I'm smirking because we've just changed your email address and we haven't told you. <laughs> <laughs> the things you don't know. What is it'll it? still work, but it'll, it'll be dave work. at ka.church. Same as our website. Sorry. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that literally happened before the podcast. <laughs> we're welcome to our staff meeting. Um, <laughs> oh, look, not all of us were away on Monday. So. <laughs> In any case, Dave, right. you're pretty easy to find. So. I think I'm reasonably easy to find. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. Well, that wraps up the questions from this week's podcast. What's happening next Sunday? Don't know. Um, oh. no, Does there's, anyone there's, know? There's, there's, there's a story behind. Still come, still come. Still come. No, there's be so much context on. behind this. So uh, we, we're looking at Matthew 7. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we're hoping Nathan will be here okay. uh, to preach. Nathan's actually been really unwell. He's in day 10, I mm. think, uh, of being really unwell. I spoke to him yesterday and described him as the most diseased man in Sydney. Oh, dear. Um, uh, very lovingly and affectionately, um, but he hasn't been doing great. So he, mm. he, he, we're hoping he'll be here to preach uh, Matthew 7. Uh, it's all about judging others, planks and specks in eyes and stuff like that. So it, it's going to be, again, it'll be super challenging, but who's actually preaching we're not exactly sure. By the end of today, which is Tuesday when we record, we'll, we'll know whether it's James yeah, it'll be me or, or me or, yeah. or Nathan <laughs> Uh, we, oh, we let's throw Dan under the bus. Maybe Dan can do it. <laughs> <laughs> Welp. <laughs> the look of terror on Dan's face. Don't worry, Dan. No, don't worry. Jesus said don't worry. Don't worry about anything. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, in any case, something will be here for you. We'll be listening to God's word together. So we hope to see you on Sunday. Thanks for listening to this episode. We'd love you to join us at Kellyville Anglican any Sunday at 8.30, 10.30 or 6.15 p.m. If you can't visit us in person, you can also join us on. You can find out more information at www.ka.church. So come join us and see for yourself what is said on Sunday.